Welcome to the Novel Marketing Podcast, the longest-running book marketing podcast in the world. This is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and change the world with writing worth talking about. I'm Tom Sumstadt Jr., CEO of Author Media, and this week my family got sick. <laughs> the whole family. And the downside of being a parent with a sick baby and a sick toddler is that they don't care that you're sick as well. And my wife deserves some kind of Nobel Prize for taking care of everyone uh, while she was sick herself. And I didn't think we were going to have an episode at all this week because I have been uh, completely incapacitated. But then I remembered that I only shared the first half of last week's webinar. And so this isn't a full episode. I apologize. And for those of you who are on the webinar, you're welcome to skip this. I'm not going to put any important information at the end that you'll miss. But if you missed the webinar, uh, we had over 150 people attend live. We had another 150 sign up for the replay. And of the people who attended live, they were able to post questions and vote for each other's questions. And so what will follow is those most voted for questions. <laughs> so it's just me rapid fire answering questions off the top of my head. I didn't prepare these answers. In fact, I read them live right there in front of everyone and then gave my best answer. So uh, I hope you find it helpful. And also a real quick update before we go to that episode. Uh, the course Obscure No More, uh, last week I said there was 62 spots left. Now there are 21 spots left. So it's not too late if you want to sign up. There are a few spots remaining, depending on when you hear this. So if you want to join us, you can. Otherwise, you'll need to wait until fall 2021. And without further ado, here is the Q&A from the How to Build a Rejection Proof webinar. And the number one question's got 12 votes. How can us lowly people co-author with big name people? Well, first off, don't think of yourself as a lowly person and because you bring to the table several things that a big name person doesn't have. And the biggest thing that a big name person doesn't have is time. And so it is your effort that makes you really attractive because the um, more notable an author gets, the more demands are on their time and the harder it is to write books while simultaneously the demand for their books goes up. <laughs> it puts the author in a difficult position. But the other things, even more important, is to bring skills. A big name author wants to work with the best author at the conference. And you'll find that the authors who do a lot of co-authoring are the best. They're really, really good. And the big name author can tell a good author from a bad author. So you can't just be good. You have to be amazing. So how do you get amazing at writing? Well, if you're a novelist, I recommend you write. This is the procedure that we present in the five-year plan, and I'll give it to you right now. Read a book on craft, write a short story, implementing what you learned in that book on craft and repeat. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Just read books on craft, practice what you learn in that book. And then the third piece of that is get feedback from other authors who are at your same spot or a little bit further along in a writer's group. And if you were willing to do that, if you, and if you're willing to practice deliberately like that, you will get better and continue to get better. And eventually you'll be good enough. And if you know, want to know what books to read when, that's what the five-year plan is all about. But you don't need the five-year plan to do that. You can go to the library for free, go to the writing section, pick up a book, read it, put it into practice. You can do it on the library computer. You don't have to spend a single penny and you can get good. But you don't have to be wealthy to do it, but you have to be willing to work hard. And you have to be willing to learn and to get feedback. You can't just write by yourself without reading books for two decades. That won't work. All right, next question's got seven votes from Thomas. 
What a great name. He says, clearly, in time of COVID, social media is so important for building a platform. Are there ways to make social media work better? I've kind of been talking about how social media doesn't work for building a platform. How I would use social media is to join the groups that your authors are in and listen. We'll talk about social media in the course. I'll have a session on it, especially if people ask. I taught on social media for years at conferences, so I know the kind of standard advice on social media. Um, The thing is, is that the stuff that works in social media tends to change pretty quickly. So like for a while, live video is amazing and the algorithm is really favoring live video. Right now during an election, almost everything's getting suppressed. It's really hard to get out of the noise of, of what's going on. So I really would spend your time somewhere else. Social media is not an effective place to build your platform. Uh, all right, next question from Marie with six votes. Um, I'd love to know more about building a platform slash marketing for nonfiction. Up until now, most of my work has been fiction. With the occasional nonfiction magazine and art book thrown in, but I'm now working on some writing books for authors and would love some input on the best ways to position myself for the launch of these books. So it's actually easier with nonfiction because the writing of the book and the building of the platform and the building of the skills can all be combined. So what you want to do is you want to pick a platform, either blogging, YouTube, or podcasting, and you want to be that that's where you're going to become the guru. And you need to kind of switch your mindset because with fiction, you write the book. You know, if you're going through the five-year plan, first two years of the five-year plan, you're not working on a platform much. And you do a little bit in year two, really starts in year three. But year one's all about getting good at writing because that's so important. Whereas with nonfiction, day one, if you start blogging, right, those blog posts can turn into chapters or sections of your book and you're building that audience of people who already see you as an expert the book doesn't make you an expert your expertise makes the book so it's really important to get out there and to get gather a following around your ideas and so there's the three main ways to do it is with the blog the advantage of blogs is that they rank on google best if you're already a writer probably the easiest for you to write and they spread pretty well people can very easily share them uh, the downside with blogs is that uh, there's a lot of blogs out there. The competition's pretty high. And it's also uh, getting good at blog writing is not the same as being good at writing. And we're going to talk about that in the course because a lot of people think they're good at writing blogs and then they aren't getting traffic. And so they say, oh, blogging doesn't work. No, blogging works. I've gotten over a million views uh, on my personal blog. I've got over a million views on my author media blog. And I've coached authors who've gotten uh, collectively tens of millions of views. Blogging works great, but you have to know how to do it. Or you do YouTube, which is its own strategy. It's very similar. You're going to still write a script for your YouTube videos you present. There's a whole world of AuthorTube, and you can build your following there. Or what I do, podcasting, where you, it's again, it's kind of an advanced form of blogging. And each one of our podcasts is also a blog post. But there's other places, right? You could do it on stage if you're good at speaking. You could speak at conferences. So it really depends on your strengths. And in the very first session of the course that I have planned, we're going to talk a lot about identifying your assets and your liabilities, your strengths and your weaknesses, and picking ways of building a platform that play to your strengths. So if you're the idea of getting on stage, you'd rather die than get on stage. Guess what? You don't need to get on stage. (laughs) We'll find something that can work for your strengths specifically. Sandra asks, can you build a platform before you write the book? Absolutely. Especially nonfiction, but for fiction as well. For fiction, the way you're going to do it is you're going to use short stories to build your email list. So you're going to be sharing your short stories for free. 
if you're doing the five-year plan, you're going to be writing a lot of short stories. You're going to have a whole collection of short stories in your hard drive. You picked some of the very best ones, and that's those are the ingredients that you use to start building your platform. For nonfiction, it's many of the methods that I mentioned already, uh, but there's more than that. Uh, but other things you do ahead of time, you're building your email list, you're building your website, uh, you're building your skills. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, if you want to be traditionally published, there's a section in the proposal. You have your platform, here's what I've already done, and your marketing plan, here's what I plan to do. And both of those need to be really robust. And if you're indie publishing, you don't have to have a platform if you want to be published, but you do need to have a way to get the word out if you actually want to sell books. <laughs> so indies need platforms as well. All right. Can I build my email list through Wix? I build my websites using Wix and need to know if I need something separate like MailChimp to manage my email list. So I don't recommend Wix or MailChimp or uh, platform building for various reasons. I've talked about this a lot on the podcast. Uh, of the two, Wix is probably better than MailChimp and Wix can handle email. It's not its um, core function and it, it doesn't have a great email app, but it does have one built in. In the course, we'll go into what I do recommend instead, but spoiler, it's WordPress <laughs> and Divi and either ConvertKit or MailerLite for email. But if you're just getting started and, and you don't want to move, or if you're really comfortable with Wix, you can use Wix. Wix isn't the end of the world. And there is a cost of switching in, in terms of time. So I'm, I'm, I'm not going to you know, kick you out of the group if you're using Wix. If you were using Weebly, we may have to have an intervention because Weebly is the worst. But Wix, Wix, we can make Wix work. And you can always move later if you decide to. Uh, how do you engage readers without using social media? Well, that's what we'll be talking about in the course. But but the short answer is content. You're creating actual content and you're connecting with actual humans. And this is why this course is so needed is because the way platform has been taught in conferences and on Facebook groups is that for a lot of authors, social media is the only thing that they, like that's even in their world. They're like, what else even is there if there's not social media? And believe it or not, I lived in a time where there was no such thing as Facebook. There was no such thing as Twitter. And authors had platforms. They got word out about their books, and they did just fine. <laughs> so you know, back in the day, a platform, there'd be these preachers that go up and down uh, the United States. And they didn't even have amplification. Right, Speakers hadn't been invented yet. Electricity is still at the very early stages. And the platform was a literal platform. They built a wooden platform so the speaker's feet were at eye level so the speaker could speak over the audience and they would build basically a speaker box, like a wooden wall behind the speaker with kind of angled backdrop and kind of ramped up. It's kind of like a uh, like if you've ever seen a, a choir box, something like that. And Benjamin Franklin went to go hear one of these speakers. His name was, uh, it wasn't Wesley, it was the other one, Whitfield. And there was 20,000 people listening to George Whitfield speak without amplification. Why? Because they used wood to build a platform. And uh, Lincoln was estimated that I think it was either 30,000 or 40,000 people that Whitfield could speak to. So part of it was him building himself, growing his organs of speech, so to speak, learning how to speak loudly. And part of it was building a platform. And in this course, we're going to talk about both of those things. We're going to Talk about public speaking. We're not going to talk about like woodworking, but we're going to talk about branding and public speaking and the kind of building yourself sorts of things. And we're also going to talk about the kind of more modern technical ways of building that framework. Yeah, now Tom says in chat, Mark Twain used that platform method. Yeah, he absolutely did. He spoke all over the world. He went on tour. He spoke from the stage. So there are many ways. There's a whole world of ways. 
And the first step really is to just stop using social media. You have to disconnect from the matrix before you can see the real world. And you don't need this course to do that. You can disconnect from the matrix right now. You can take the red pill. I know you're not going to want to, <laughs> but it can happen. A lot of matrix references in this, uh, in this talk, but I love that movie. Okay, next question with lots of votes or the most number of votes is by Abby. What are the pros and cons of having a pseudonym, a pen name? I have one, so those that know me personally won't read my uh, work with bias or filter of this is Abby's work, so I should think this way because I know her. Also, so I don't get the full credit. Uh, I'm here to lift up Jesus with my books, not myself. Will this hurt my platform or help it? So there are good reasons to use a pseudonym and fear is not one of those reasons. So the most common bad reason I see an author use for doing a pen name is I don't want to hurt my mom's feelings. Because um, there's memoir, they're writing a memoir, they're writing a book with memoir elements, and they think that by writing a pseudonym, they can hide and lead. And you can't lead and hide. So I don't recommend that. You need to be willing to, to stand up and be seen. And when you're using a pseudonym, half the playbook goes away. Me doing media goes away, right? How do you do an interview if you're not using your real name? How do you get on stage? People see you, they think you're one name, they think you're another way. It's a little disingenuous. When having a pseudonym does make sense is when you're writing different kinds of books and you're using your pseudonym as a way of serving your audience. So Joanna Penn has Joanna Penn, which is what she writes for nonfiction, how to write books, books with. And then her fiction, she writes with J.F. Penn. She acknowledges that they're two different audiences, right? The people who are reading her thrillers and they're just a reader. They don't want to read about how to, you know, show instead of tell. And her nonfiction readers maybe don't care about the kind of fiction that she writes. And so her pen name is a way of serving her readers, but they're both obviously her. It's not her trying to hide. And so I, I don't believe in pen names as a way of hiding. I think you need to be willing to lead. You need to be willing to stand up and be seen. And other people's bias is not your problem. You shouldn't let someone else's bias control your life. That's true with all kinds of bias. A lot more I'm tempted to say on that, <laughs> but I'm not going to. Courage. Courage, dear one. Uh, it, it doesn't mean you have to not be afraid. It means you need to do the right thing regardless of how you feel. Don't let your feelings control you. Disney was wrong. Following your heart, not the way to do it. You need to follow the truth. All right, Sandra asked the question, what are hashtags all about? So hashtags, remember the first time I was teaching on hashtags was at a conference like 10 years ago. And I was calling it the pound symbol. And I had this lady in my class and she was so confused. So, so hashtag is the, what we in America call the pound symbol, pound on the um, telephone, and then a word. And that's a way of creating a keyword and linking content. And and she's like, the pound symbol, the pound symbol. She's looking all over her keyboard and she can't find it. So I finally show it on the screen. And she's like, oh, you mean a hash mark? <laughs> so in the UK, pound is a currency. It's a little L with some lines through it. And it's what they use to buy things. They give each other pounds and they give each other food. And so they don't use the pound sign. They use the hash mark. And since it's the Queen's English, Twitter and all the other platforms don't call them pound tags. They call them hashtags because of England. So a hashtag is a keyword that you use to join a conversation. So the, the best way of, I'm going to pick a non-political way of doing it. So there's a lot of political hashtags, but let's say you're watching a, uh, watching a football game 
every football game tends to have three hashtags. They have a hashtag for each team so that you can post to Twitter and other people following the hashtag, which are going to be other people on your team, can see it. The other team is going to have their own hashtag. And then there's often a hashtag for the game itself where you can talk to everybody watching the game. So Twitter becomes basically the room where everyone is watching the game together. So you, if you want to talk smack to the other team, you use the general you know, Cowboys versus Ravens hashtag. But if you just want to talk to Cowboys fans, use hashtag Cowboys. And if you just want to talk to Ravens fans, use hashtag Ravens. And there's lots of author hashtags, right? So in fact, we have one of our most popular posts on author media as a guide to author hashtags. And if, I think if you Google author hashtags, our post listing them all and explaining how to use them is still the number one or one of the top posts. I haven't checked that recently. So someone may have dethroned us. We wrote that post like eight years ago and it's been ranking high for that whole time, which is why vlogging is such an effective strategy. Other people tweet links to that all the time. So hopefully that helps answer your question about hashtags. Oh, wow. This is a long question. All right. You often say in your podcast something along the lines of the best time to start building a platform was a year ago, but the second best time is right now. However, I am a slow writer and an extrovert who actually prefers doing people connecting things like marketing to sitting in isolation at my desk writing. I had a veteran author friend caution me about doing serious platform building too soon because of the very real danger of slowing my writing down even further and increasing the delays of my manuscript completion. Uh, can you reframe the timing advice in relation to the actual launch? Like, it seems logical to me that it would be better to pour into my writing the novels and getting serious about my marketing efforts within a year of the first book's release rather than spending five years building a fiction platform. But is that true or is it wise to work hard on the platform building that far in advance? So in the five-year plan, you don't do any platform building in the first year. And by the time you're done with the first year, you've written several short stories in at least one book. Then at the end of the second year, you've written several more books and you've written a bunch more short stories. We teach you how to write fast. It's one of the things in the course. So it sounds like to me that you're more eligible for the five-year plan. And the benefit of the five-year plan, it's cheaper. You can buy it at any time. When you, I would say is time to start thinking about your platform and when we teach it in the five-year plan is starting in year three. So that's two or three years ahead of the launch of the book because you're going to need that platform piece and and if you're wanting to be traditionally published in time for your book proposal so there is some concurrency that needs to happen but if if you're still a really slow writer and you're not very good at writing and you're just trying to get your legs underneath you it is and you're just doing fiction it is totally okay to just do just write so i'm, I'm giving you permission you think i'm be like platform for everybody and uh, but you got to learn how to write fast first excellence is quality at speed. Anyone can create quality if they spend their whole life doing just the one thing. You know, if, you're, if you spend your whole life on just one painting, hopefully it'll be quality. But to really to get good at painting, you got to learn how to paint fast so you can learn from the first painting and take that lesson into the next painting. And often when people are writing slow, the problem is either one of two things. Either they are afraid and that fear is holding them back and they've got to work through that fear. And uh, authors don't ever use the word fear. That's a politically incorrect term. So sorry, forgive me. Authors call it writer's block, which is author code for fear. The other challenge is a lack of organization. And in the five-year plan, we talk about both of those things, but there's some really great books for writers that will help you with both of those things. The best one for fear is The War of Art, 
which I imagine many of you have read. It's very, very popular amongst authors. And then the best one on organization is How to Write 5,000 Words an Hour by Chris Fox. And I do have an episode with Chris Fox titled How to Write 5,000 Words an Hour. And it's one of our very most popular episodes. And in my mastermind group, uh, I run several mastermind groups with authors. And in uh, the one of pre-published authors, basically every author has gone through the 5,000 year 5,000 year, 5,000 word an hour book. And almost all of them, if not all of them have benefited. They're not all writing that fast, but they've all gotten faster and more organized or, or they've been able to understand kind of the art of writing in a new way as having read that book. Uh, great question. All right, next question is from Joyce. I have been building my platform for about a year, converting my blog to a website and growing my followers from 25 to currently over 2,100. Very good. How can I get a publisher to look at my work? Almost all traditional pubs are not currently accepting submissions. It's so frustrating. So you don't go straight to the publisher. You need to go through a literary agent. And uh, that's probably your problem. You're going straight to the publishers. The big ones won't take straight proposals. You've got to get a literary agent first. We have several episodes on how to get a literary agent. And um, that's what I would recommend. All right. Yeah, some of these down the list have a, more votes. This one's got a bunch. All right. From Kona. Hello. Is an author platform about the author herself or himself or about the topic? Thanks so much. Yes. So one of the things we're going to talk about in the course is branding. And you are going to be like attaching your name and the topic. So let me say some author's names and you tell me what topic comes to mind. Dave Ramsey. Right. When I say his name, just one topic comes to mind. He, his brand and his topic are connected. He's the getting out of debt, financial savvy guy. If I say Stephen King, you're going to think dark, scary books. If I say Jim Butcher, you're going to think urban fantasy. And when Jim Butcher writes something other than urban fantasy, which he's done, it's not as successful. Despite being really well written, because it's not uh, what he attached his name to. So you have to be willing to be a symbol for your style of writing if you're writing fiction. And you need to be willing to be an expert if you're writing a book. Because people don't buy nonfiction books from authors. They buy nonfiction books from experts. All right, next question. As a fiction writer, how do you even begin to think about getting a co-author? Especially now that we aren't able to be in person at writing conferences. So being a part of courses like this one where you're connecting with other serious authors is helpful. If you have a literary agent, a literary agents do matchmaking in that regard, it, it, but it's all about networking. And just because you can't network in person doesn't mean you can't network. And taking social media out of the pie helps you do the networking things that actually work, like having a Zoom meeting with somebody uh, and, and, you know, or gasp, a telephone call. <laughs> so they're smiling and dialing. It's actually about connecting human to human with folks. And you know, it's not like you're going to go call up famous person. You're going to get better known. And another thing that can help is being in mastermind groups with other top authors. If you're wanting a good co-author, you need to enter the world where the top authors hang out with each other. And typically that means spending some money either to go to a conference or to be a part of the paid groups that the authors who can afford it are a part of. Or to be friends, like it's networking, it's, it's connecting. But it is harder. But the conferences are coming back. <laughs> 2021, we'll have in-person conferences again. Maybe not in every state, but they're coming back. My dad had a saying when I was dating. He said, if you want to see a train, you need to go buy a train track. <laughs> you can complain that you're not seeing a train 
all you want, but unless you're willing to move and get near a train track, you're not going to see a train. And so you need to, if you want to, you know, co-author a book with a famous author, you need to go hang out where the famous authors hang out and find a way to serve. But you also need to find a way of proving that you're a good writer, uh, which is where short stories come in and winning contests come in and all the rest of it. All right. Looking for a question here to break out of the pack in terms of votes. Here's one by Abby. Uh, what do you believe is better as a Christian author, having book signings at bookstores or ministering speaking at local churches? Oh, that that's easy. Speaking. <laughs> book signings don't work. But speaking is amazing. Uh, you'll get your, your, you'll, you're signing books both ways. But in one, you are connecting and serving people first, right? You're giving hopefully a really good speech where you're blowing people away. And then afterwards, as a way of saying thank you, they come to your table and buy a copy of your book. Whereas at a bookstore, you're just sitting there alone at a table, hoping people will walk up to you, which is super awkward for you and super awkward for them because people don't want to buy a book from a random author who's sitting there. And it's just really awkward. Typically, I don't recommend book signings at bookstores until you can bring your own crowd. Once you're famous enough or you post on Facebook or Twitter saying, hey, I'm going to be in Detroit, such and such bookstore, and you can pack it. Or even better yet, on your blog or your podcast. You know, I know top podcasters, there's a history podcaster who wrote a book on Roman history about Sullus and, and Marius and the Gracchi brothers, right? Not famous Romans, but famous Romans if you're a listener of the History of Rome podcast, which is what he made. And he would go into a bookstore and he would, you know, have lines out the door. Of course, he also spoke at those bookstores, actually. So speaking really is the better approach, come to think of it. And I will say, book settings, when they work, people are typically bringing the copy they already read. Right, it's not a way of selling books to strangers. It's a way of connecting with the people who've already bought a copy of your book. Um, would this course be helpful to someone who isn't published yet? Absolutely, that's exactly why I made the course. In fact, if you're wanting to be tra published traditionally, you need the platform first. You need to prove that your ideas, that your stories, that your expertise has resonance with an audience before a publisher is going to risk, you know, twenty thousand or fifty thousand dollars publishing your book. So, yes, this course is very much made for the unpublished author in mind. All right. Um, here's one that's broken out of the pack. If agents slash editors want social media presence, how is that addressed in your class? Curious where you heard that and when you heard that, because I've been interviewing agents and editors on the podcast, and they are saying the opposite. that They don't look at social media anymore. Uh, when you apply for distribution, number one question is not on social following. It's on email list. The agents and editors, that's all what they're looking for. If you want to impress an agent or editor in 2020 or 2021, you don't do it with your Twitter following. You do it with your email list. Because, you know, if you have a big social following and you don't have a big email list, they're going to ask, why weren't you able to get these people to sign up for your email list? If they won't trust you with their email, why would they trust you with their money? So I, I know that gets circulated around at conferences. Uh, and there is some truth to the where there's smoke, there's fire. So that it's a proof if somebody's already famous, say you were on a reality TV show and you got a big following, you'll have a big Twitter following and that big Twitter following, and by big, I mean like tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands, uh, might be appealing to uh, an agent. Um, but it's proof of the celebrity you already have, not the celebrity that you got. And you know, a lot of people think that their 5,000 or their 10,000 followers is impressive, but that's not the kind of numbers that's impressive to an agent. Somebody used to be a literary agent, I'll tell you, you needed six digits <laughs> to really be impressive and really seven before that following on its own would hold any water. 
and it's really hard to get to a million plus followers without doing something in the real world. Unless you're really willing to do some distasteful things online, sometimes you can do it. It's really hard these days. All right. I was thinking of signing up for the five-year course first. I've already taken the book launch blueprint. Would you advise uh, taking the five-year course first to continue developing my craft as an author? really depends on where you are in your writing, and it depends on where you are financially. Uh, so the cost of this course is going to go up a lot once the beta slots are taken. And I assume that I, a lot of you have already signed up <laughs> for the course to grab one of those beta uh, slots before they go away. So it's up to you, really, what you want to do first. In general, you got to get the craft down, and the five-year plan will help with that. Obscure No More is not going to help you with your craft. All right, here's uh, another question. What about going from nonfiction to fiction? Can you share uh, with the same platform if using similar topics and themes? Potentially. This is one of the times when having an email program like MailerLite or ConvertKit is really beneficial because you can segment your audience. So you've got basically three audiences. You have people who are only interested in fiction, people who are interested in both, and then people who are only interested in nonfiction. And with ConvertKit and MailerLite, you can send emails based off of which of those groups people are in. So, because while many people may be interested in the other, not everyone will, and you don't want to, you know, if you've got a big book launch for your nonfiction coming up, you don't want to alienate all of your novelist readers who are waiting for the next book. So, this is where having better email programs will be helpful. And this is definitely something we'll talk about in the course, kind of how to handle multiple brands with the same email program. And it's one of the areas where MailChimp really breaks down. <laughs> if you're going to do fiction and nonfiction, you do not want to be on MailChimp because it's way, way more complicated and confusing. Okay, I'm going to answer one more. I know that email lists are important and social media isn't effective, but is it still beneficial to be present on accounts for readers who want to connect with you there? Sure. It, it doesn't cost you. It, and as long as you know, signing up and reserving your name doesn't cost you anything. And, you know, you have a link to your website there and your Twitter makes it easy for you to, to, for people to find you. And it may be a way people want to contact you. And that's a totally legit way to use social media. So I'm not saying don't be on social media. In fact, we're going to talk about appropriate ways to use social media. But I feel, often when I feel, I'm talking with authors, I feel like I'm talking with addicts. And it's like you need to go clean for a while before you start to, to drink that, <laughs> to drink that alcohol again. Uh, and some people, they're so addicted, they need to just go cold turkey. Um, how many sessions over what time period? So the course is going to launch for reels in the fall of 2021. So the beta period of me making sessions is going to be between now and then. Obviously, I'll continue posting updates and continuing making new sessions. Uh, but I'm hoping to have more info or, or, or a completed course by then. The number of sessions really depends on y'all. So I have a, an outline. I, I, if you click the link down here, it'll take you to the topics I'm going to cover for sure. But you know, if people have a bunch of questions on something that I wasn't planning on doing a video on, I'll do a video on it, and that will increase the number of sessions. So it's not like it's only 49 sessions, something like that. There's, yeah, it, It's to be determined. What is the price of the five-year plan? I think it's $199, and I think patrons get it 50% off. But if you click the link down here to go to Obscure No More and then click Courses, you can see a list of all the courses, and they'll have the five-year plan there. Almost all of our courses, you get a discount being a patron. So I would sign up as a patron. There's a link. At the, once you've signed up as a patron, there's a post at the top of Patreon that's sticky that has links to the discounts for all the courses. 
Speaking of patrons, today's featured patron is Jess Lederman, author of Heart Set Free. Yura sets out with her son Luke on an epic cross-country quest to win back her husband and destroy the woman who stole his heart. Spanning nearly 100 years, Heart Sets Free is a story of struggle, passion, and adventure of faith about the truth that transforms lives. And Jess, thank you for being a patron of the Novel Marketing Podcast, helping keep uh, the show on the air. This is how I make my living, how I provide for my family. So I very much appreciate you and all of the other patrons who find value in the show. If you find value in this podcast, if this podcast benefits you, I appreciate that you trade value for value. Speaking of value, there's a new feature in Patreon uh, where you can sign up for a year at a time and get a discount. And so if that's interesting to you, you can get all the same perks that you normally get, like a featured bonus episode every month that patrons get, or the podcast host directory, or at the higher tiers, having your book featured on the air, or even being a member of one of the mastermind groups. All of those things are cheaper if you sign up uh, for the annual plan, and you can find out more about that at patreon.com slash novel marketing. And if you can't afford to become a patron, I totally get it. 2020 is a year. (laughs) In one way you can help the podcast is by leaving a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. And I want to say thank you. There were several really kind reviews that came in in this last week and were very encouraging to me as I was sick (laughs) to get some positive reviews. Uh, You've been listening to Thomas Umstadt Jr. uh, sharing the Q&A of a webinar while he recovers uh, on the Novel Marketing Podcast. To find the blog version of this episode or to get new episodes delivered to your phone automatically, visit authormedia.com. Thank you for listening and live long and prosper.